Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Conversations on issues impacting Californians of all ages. Here's your host, Theon Gordon. Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Join us as we dive into issues and policies that impact Californians of all ages, particularly older adults, and learn how you can connect with AARP to make our state more livable for all. I am an AARP volunteer and your host, Dr. Theon Gordon. Today, we are with urban planner James Rojas to talk about the importance of inclusive, age-friendly, open, and public spaces. Rojas is a renowned urban planner, community activist, and artist who works to involve communities in public design. He is founder of Place It and founder of the Latino Urban Forum, an advocacy group dedicated to increasing awareness around planning and design issues facing low-income Latinos. James, welcome to the show. It's wonderful to have you joining us today. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Can you tell us a little more about your work and about Place It? Okay, well, I grew up in East Los Angeles. Started off when I was a kid because I wanted a dollhouse. And back in those days, boys didn't play with dolls. So I built this scrappy dollhouse out of a popsicle stick I found in the schoolyard. And ever since then, I've been fascinated with building things. At that time, in the 60s in L.A., L.A. was going through a big transformation with freeways and new buildings and all stuff happening. So I was really fascinated by how cities change and how I could kind of mimic that with my models. So that kind of got me interested in this whole process. And after that, I went to school at Woodbury University in Burbank to study interior design to really understand how people connect to spaces. You know, why are home spaces so important to us and our public spaces aren't? So I did that for four years. And after that, I went to the Army and was stationed in Europe. And one year I was in Italy. In Italy, I felt like being back on the block in East L.A. You know, why do I feel so comfortable in Italy? Because I'm Latino or what is it? But it was looking at this way the Italian G space was similar to the way Latino G space in East L.A. But in East L.A., we're dealing with parking lots and freeways. In Italy, you deal with really beautiful plazas and public spaces. So I was fascinated by this way people use space. And that led me to go to MIT after the Army and study city planning which was really fun because I got a chance to kind of study myself in East Los Angeles. I went home for Christmas break and took like 10 rolls of black and white film of people just hanging out in East L.A. and telling the story about what that meant. And, you know, and telling the story about East L.A. that wasn't based on crime or violence or numbers, but based on the feelings and kind of emotions. So I think that's the part that planners always miss. You know, planners are really into knowing the space, but not feeling the space. And if we come back for community members, it's all about how we fill spaces. If we can't articulate that, we get frustrated. So it's really kind of looking at the intangibles that create great spaces. So after that, you know, they worked at LA Metro after Woodbury, after uh, MIT. And we were having a community meeting building the goal line in East Los Angeles. And we would have, you know, 20 Latinos in the room. And they wouldn't say a word. They would just nod their heads. But I knew they had ideas because I grew up in this neighborhood. So I thought, well, I'm going to bring in my childhood stuff, my childhood junk, objects, and just have them build. And once that happened, it opened up all these different things. At the same time, it opened up an art gallery in downtown Los Angeles 
started working with, with artists, and I was amazed how artists can get people to engage in space just by their, their senses in really positive ways. This is really amazing what you're saying, because you're talking about this journey of popsicle sticks to plazas in Italy to pictures that you started creating, these pictures, bringing in the art landscape. And then I like the idea of what you talked about in terms of filling and feeling spaces. And I know that has to do with that creative. Is that what Place It is about? Is that where Place It comes from? Yeah, Place It's about relationship building because I think too much of our planning processes are very transactional based on highest and best use. You know, what's the highest and best use here? And it's not based on relationships that people have with place and other people. You know, humans were, we form attachments. And those attachments are kind of intangible, but yet they're important to us. But there isn't any kind of platforms or tools in the urban planning profession that can really talk about attachments in a very productive way. The place that helps people talk about their attachments to place and what the means are. So in the workshops for place it, the first activity is how people build their favorite childhood memory. You build that memory as an icebreaker, as a way to get to understand the importance of place in your life. You know, especially for people that don't understand planning at all. They can't read maps, but they can build a memory and have memory. I tell them this memory you just built is your personal DNA for city planning. You're going to try to relive this memory the rest of your life. If you can articulate it and talk about it, we can put it into a transportation plan. We can put it into a housing plan. We can build off that memory. And that's your story that needs to be told. So I think it gets people to really think about, you know, what they value in place and belonging and how they can start to articulate what that is physically. By building the models with objects, they can explore shape, color, form, texture, all these things that really make places great. They start to capture all these kind of intangible that people carry in their head that they need to release. Because we have information in our brains, but also in our bodies. And we can release that information through our fingertips. And that becomes really powerful for people to be able to do that. They kind of have that aha moment. This is an aha moment for me because you put (laughs) urban planning in a very clear term. I could go back to an early childhood memory and get the senses of an early childhood memory. I love this idea of urban planning being relational with who you are, with how you feel, and that's how you actually fill the spaces that you're talking about with the textures, with the senses that you bring to that. So tell us, open and public spaces, they are supposed to create a sense of community and social belonging. The spaces are supposed to belong to everyone, regardless of their age, their gender, their ethnicity, their religion, or their income. And at AARP, age-friendly, open, and public spaces are critical components of the communities that we are designing as livable for all. So when we talk about open spaces, we're talking about anything from a park to the bus stop or a community center. So As we think about that, the importance of public spaces and community participation, and you talking about this idea of filling the spaces with our feeling, with our memories, why is it important to have these public spaces and why would we fill the spaces with so many different remembrances? Because these are being used by everyone. 
Well, I think the whole idea is that really we need to think about, you know, before we start pouring infrastructure and building these public spaces, we have to think about what's going to make this space great. And if we never ask this question and it's never talked about, we're going to get a half-baked public space. For example, you know, Los Angeles Unified built a series of schools back in the 90s, and a lot of schools, they feel like prisons because they never asked the question, what should this place feel like? Which is critical because people are making decisions left and right about spaces based on their feelings. You know, for example, you got a plant in your background in a piece of artwork, and that just kind of makes you feel good. So why can't we have the same kind of feelings in public spaces? You know, set up it to really make us feel that we belong there. And it should really be, you know, a memory bank for everybody. That's why it should be important to us. You know, because we need to really kind of have a sense of belonging and tell a story about these spaces that everybody can share, which makes it a lot more powerful. So I think, you know, we spend a lot of time in our homes and we design them that way, but we should have the same kind of care when we design public spaces. We do a lot of activities in public space where people just go out to the street and tell me how it feels. But what are you drawn to? What are you looking at? Can you talk to a friend on the street? You know, maybe like in L.A., most commercial streets like Crenshaw, you can't talk to your friend walking down Crenshaw. It's so noisy. So therefore, that public space is kind of second rate. You're waiting for a bus in L.A. Well, it's noisy, it's dirty, whatever it is, it's no shade. Again, it doesn't become a good place to be. So I think this really has how we design these public spaces from these intangibles, from these feelings, it's going to kind of guarantee it's a better public space. I love this. I love this idea of feeling the space. How does it feel before filling the space and giving the community that opportunity? So many times things are built around us and we don't even know. It, it comes up and we're like, what is that? And why did they build it looking like that? It's kind of off-putting. We talked about an area Earlier, And I remember going by when they put a gate up around this park area that we had spoken of in the Lamert Park area. And I thought, who decided to put a gate up there? And I'm not sure if the community had so much input into something like that. And community areas like that, like that park, why are they important or do you think they're important for us to have these creative, open and inclusive spaces? Is it important? Yeah, it's very important for us to have these kind of spaces because that's where we learn from. You know, we learn from these spaces and especially our children. When I do a memory workshop, most people's memories are outdoors in nature and landscapes. So this is where children learn about life from these public spaces. You know, walking down the street with their friends, going to the park, climbing a tree. So it's really important for children to develop as humans in these spaces. Plus, it's important for us to really have these comforting spaces. Like during the pandemic, a lot of our parks were overcrowded because people felt that they were their comfort zone. So it's kind of these spaces that we need to kind of create that comfort in our lives and really kind of bring us together. But if we don't think about it, you know, in these really kind of fine-grained ways, we think about our homes, that couldn't be right. In fact, one time I did a workshop in Limerick Park <laughs> for uh, Chaos Studios with uh, Ben Cadwell, and uh, it was a lot there, and we had two teams, one with women and one with men. The man designed that lot in like 10 minutes. The woman took a whole hour designing that vacant lot. They thought about sound, entrance, what they're going to do there, what they're going to feel there. It was amazing. You just saw these two groups of people, men and women, designing a different kind of vocabulary. We need that kind of input to really design inclusive spaces. Absolutely. So you can definitely see in terms of bringing in community 
and assuring that community is involved, this creative way of designing spaces is really important. You know, you've coined a term Latino urbanism. In clear terms, can you tell us more about that and what that means? Well, it's basically the way Latinos are kind of reinventing the American city, you know, by the behavior patterns. But it kind of goes back to the pre-Columbian era, you know, because, you know, and it's interesting because you think about the 13 colonies in the U.S., they were seaborne colonies from Boston to Savannah. They're all based on trade, all based on highest and best use, all based on business, basically. You know, Monticello's with a factory to grow tobacco. So that kind of dictated the way American colonies started forming their identities with transactions. But on the other hand, if you think about the Spanish and Latin American, the Spanish had a book called Law of the Indies. And it was very, very particular how you plan things, how you plan your city with the plaza and the government. And all these things were all there very laid out. Plus, the Spanish were very kind of protective of their colonies. They only had one big port, and that was Havana. You know, because all the ships left Mexico to Havana, it was all very controlled, right? But the British colonies weren't controlled at all. You know, the British really promoted trade. And that's why L.A. is 20 miles from the sea. <laughs> because the Spanish said, okay, you can't be on the sea because we become open for trade and commerce and pirates. So I think it really kind of dictates the way how Latinos see space and this kind of relationship where I think the U.S. sees space as being kind of transactional. You know, you always hear, what's the highest and best use? And I think for Latinos, it's all about relationships. It's not really about the highest and best. It's kind of how we connect with other people and how these connections are made. So it's kind of really rethinking how we do urban planning in the U.S. How do we make it more relational and less transactional? You know, and I think for Latinos, it's also, you know, they have this memory of the place, for example, the plaza. So they'll buy a house in L.A., they'll turn their front yard into a plaza because they miss that space in Latin America they put in their front yard because in the U.S. they don't have plazas. So now they're kind of recreating that memory in their front yard. Which is why you were connected in Italy to the plaza, that you were having that recreation of a memory. I see that connection going back. Yeah, so you have this kind of change of, you know, landscape. You see them all over L.A., for example. The arches and the front yard fences and the fountains, all these things, but just a memory of place that you kind of recreate. But if you can't articulate it and say what you're doing, it has no value. That helps Latinos to articulate what that story is. And then it makes sense. Oh, yeah, that's why my father built that fountain in the front yard. (laughs) Latino urbanism is more about pulling those memories and putting them within the space. Yeah, yeah. And really making that part of the U.S. planning process, you know, because it's it's the way you space and that's the way it gets evolved. And how do we start to make it more of a policy and plan that's not just kind of, well, don't talk about it. It is similar to me with indigenous people having that memory of the land and working and tilling the land. And I'll see more indigenous and many BIPOC communities in general doing gardening and using the land in different ways. Even when I see curbside gardens and things like that, it's always interesting to me, the people that use the space differently than the system might believe it should be used. And I think that gives me a relationship or feeling that relationship that you're talking about with the Latino urbanism. Yeah. And I think as Latinos, you know, we're like, you know, 45% or 50% indigenous, you know, 30% European or Spanish, and then the rest is African. So my blood's very mixed, but we're kind of that messy mixture of all the different 
cultures that kind of shape Latino urbanism. Yeah, I, I love it. And that's why I see in these communities, I guess that's why I'm saying it's the Black, Indigenous, people of color. People of color have a way of relating with the land and with space in different ways. And you just explained it perfectly, that we're kind of a mush or mixture of a little bit of everything. <laughs> and yeah. it allows us to see space and feel space differently. And in as such, we should be filling the space differently. Now, how we use space is important. And you have a unique approach as an urban planner. We've already talked about the feeling approach and bringing in the creativity. I know you strongly believe in a hands-on participatory approach. Can you share with the listeners a little bit more about that hands-on approach and why it's important? Like I say, you know, our hands and our bodies, our senses have a lot of information. And, you know, urban planning, what I just talked about, you know, might sound simple, but for most people, they can't articulate that feeling. They give them objects to play with, they can start to figure out, yeah, you know, I like, I like green things, I like warm things, I like this kind of different kind of textures and shapes. And they can start to really kind of understand what makes a great space for them. Because sometimes you go to meetings and they'll say, the client will ask, what do you want? I want a walkable street. Okay, well, that's great. But what does that mean? Did they mean a purple sidewalk, a red sidewalk, a tree, a water? You know, so I think when people can start to build it with their hands, they take a really deep dive into their values and their senses. And then this, and this will make me feel good. And once they can start to articulate that feeling, they become very passionate about what they want. And then that passion kind of leads to self-determination. And I know exactly what I want. I'm going to go out there and get it and let make it happen. So, for example, I did a workshop, uh, I think in 2013, in Phoenix, Arizona, with a group of people with disabilities. The city had just built this beautiful facility for people with disabilities, a sports facility. And across the street was a rail line, but there was no rail stop. They had to take a mile walk or whatever to get there. It was horrible. So I did a workshop, you know, with them. I asked them, you know, build your ideal station based on your disability. You can't see, you can't walk. Build a station that would really appeal you and make you feel good. And they did. And they all had these little models and they were talking about it. But they got so excited that for five years, they were lobbying the mayor of Phoenix, VTA, you know, the authority, the transit authority there. They got a station built. And it's a beautiful station. But they were able to take their struggle into a solution, into a passion, into self-determination. For me, that's critical as a room planner is to really plant these seeds in communities because, you know, we're not going to solve our planning problems by just one planner signing up there. It's going to be everybody participating every day in that solution. But having, having everybody articulate their solutions is important. Absolutely. That's a great example. Now, I know a lot of times residents like to take action in their communities, but they're not always sure how to get involved. Do you have any ideas on how people can get involved in making their spaces more age-friendly. Yeah, I think this is one of the probably the simplest way for people to get involved is having them just come together, work with their hands, objects, and just talk about their childhood memories at the first step to get to know each other and get to start to create that bonding. You know, we did a workshop recently in Oakland, mainly senior citizens, many women, we took them on a walk. But because they were in the group, these women could felt safe in that walk and they were able to explore that street 
with their bodies and not feel threatened by it. I think there's a really big gender bias in public space between men and women, you know, and that's why I do a lot of work with women because women have a lot of more red flags and they're more sensitive to how a place smells, how it looks, and all these things that, you know, that really trigger these kind of feelings of discomfort that men aren't aware of. Taking these women on this walk on 63rd Street really opened up their eyes on how to make that street better and talk about it in a very productive way. But I think just giving people, people the opportunity to really walk free in a group like that would be kind of the first step in getting people to kind of mobilize and energize what they could do to improve their spaces. Great suggestions. And I know that AARP also offers an array of toolkits to help guide community engagement. Many of these toolkits include things like there's a creating parks and public spaces for people of all ages, the pop-up placemaking toolkit, and a walk audit toolkit. When you mentioned the walk, I thought that was a great one for people to participate in. There's a lot more that can always be accessed and downloaded, free resources, and they can be found at aarp.org forward slash livable. Again, that's aarp.org forward slash livable. So I'm going to ask one more question of you, James, before we wrap it up. As an urban planner, what should communities consider to ensure public spaces are designed as age-friendly spaces? And what have you heard from older residents? What do they want in communities? Anybody, they want safe spaces. You know, their body wants to feel comfortable in space. And I think we have to start with applying our spaces with our bodies and our senses to get, to get the space that we want. Even before we pour that concrete, think about how that concrete should feel. Yeah, thank you for that. I'm familiar now when I was championing for some rubber sidewalks in a community where the sidewalks were breaking up and doing all of this strange things because of the trees, the tree roots. We didn't want to get rid of the trees, but we did want to change the sidewalk and the landscape because we were in a community where a lot of kids had to walk up and down that sidewalk to get to the school. I hadn't thought about it as it didn't feel right. I just knew people were tripping on the cracks in the sidewalk and the sidewalk coming up. But thinking of that in a place where we could fill the space with places that feel right to us just gives me a sense of community and a sense that as I age and grow into this population that I would feel safe in a community where I was designing that felt like something I could connect to. Do you have any other comments before we wrap up? You just have to get out there and just really trust our feelings and our aspirations. Well, James, thank you so much for joining us for Episode 7 of In Clear Terms with AARP. We've had the pleasure of speaking with urban planner James Rojas on his approach to creating sensational, inclusive, age-friendly, open, and public spaces that connect with the residents they serve. In future episodes, we look forward to hosting experts and elected officials who can shed light on critical issues in our state, how AARP California is working to ensure the voice of those ages 50 plus is heard, and how you, our listeners, can learn more and act on these important decisions. Thank you for listening to In Clear Terms.